0: Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Straver, Mike Palmer, along with you. And on this episode, we're going to talk about a conference Mike recently attended, which is an extension of a previous episode as well, Holon IQ, a company whose visualizations we loved many moons ago. Mike, how was it in person to visualize the future of education with Holon IQ?
1: It was good. I would have liked more HoloLenses to go with the Holon IQ. But, uh, but aside from the fact that there were no... Uh, there was very limited, uh, or no, uh, virtual reality. Um, th- despite the fact that there was some discussion of gaming and gamifications, uh, there was no, there was no leaderboard. Uh, you know, I was expected to just pay attention right. to the sessions that were there. The one thing that was really uh, throughout the conference, uh, and you mentioned the visualizations, uh, they are uh, quite good on IQ at uh, representing complex ideas visually, and uh, they do so with a nice, smart brand aesthetic, uh, so I would uh, recommend them. I, I, we were recommending them coming off their Education 2030 report, which is really when they first appeared on my radar, and then this was a follow-up to that, so this was a global education summit they did in New York um they're a new firm uh and they present as though they've been around for a while so they kind of know what they're doing and um you know i think in some ways the fact that they are new allows them to attack things with a very modern relevant uh future facing perspective which i think is sorely needed in education uh, that's part of why uh, we, we've been doing this show Yep. Uh, so they do feel like uh, kindred spirits out there. Uh, they're also Australian, so uh, you know it'd be wonder. Not, I mean, it'd be wonderful to get them on the show, even if they weren't Australian. Uh, but then the fact that uh, Patrick and Maria, uh, the 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 co-founders and managing directors of, of Hull and IQ uh, are both Australian, and uh, there were a lot of folks from Australia there too. Uh, you know, I met uh, someone from the Australian consulate. Um, it, was really a, it was really an interesting day and uh, it was sort of a combination of their, um, you know, extending on the analysis that they do, uh, which is similar right. to what you see. They, they publish a lot of their research uh, papers and that's, uh, they're not even really papers, they're more digital first uh, research um, presentations. And um, so they provided a nice survey of that at the, in the beginning of the day. And then uh, dove into a bunch of uh, rapid fire uh, interviews with CEOs and um, folks who are responsible for venture capital and other aspects of analysis. There was someone there from the Brookings Institute. Um, so it was, it, was a, it was a really full day and, and I, I, got, I got quite a bit out of it, so much so that I, I thought we, uh, we could uh, produce uh, you know, a, a quick show about it.
0: Well, for a reminder, those of you who have not heard, uh, we did the 2030 uh, episode back in June of this year. So go check that out uh, and check out the documents themselves. As Mike said, just the graphics themselves are worth your time, but the way they were able to display their information makes it really inviting Mm -hmm. uh, to someone to understand and then to dive deeper into those different things. What I find intriguing here most of all is the, futurist angle of this all thinking of education in the future and understanding where we are right now and how we might continue moving forward. But what I also appreciate about what they're doing is uh, they're, they're sharing it, right? This isn't, they're not trying to just keep the report and go, this live event brought in variety of other education leaders, venture leaders Mm -hmm. to talk about education, what was that mix you talked about it a little bit and how did they present throughout the day, varying angles on education, right? This wasn't cookie cutter, one lane, one thought process. This was a lot of different people discussing yep. education at large. Uh, how do you think that came together and what do you think of the process to get these different voices in the room?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Cause like, I, I think they did a, a nice job for, uh, the, uh, the, the venture capital space, the M a, you know, folks who are interested in perhaps, perhaps merging or acquiring companies or, uh, folks who are investing, in, um, you know, capital into education, educational technology. I think that's really who the, who this is designed for. And, um, that, that has a lot of overlap with, uh, anyone who's trying to understand where the world of learning and education will go. Uh, Particularly in a longer uh, time horizon. So, uh, you know, we recently talked to uh, Colonel Chris Meyer, Mayer at uh, West Point, who was talking about the value of uh, a 10 year strategic horizon. Think about where the world might be in 10 years. And uh, for those of us who may be uh, more hands on in our educational delivery, that's a big shift. Uh, what was interesting about this audience is that uh, this audience is very much focused on a 10-year time horizon. And, uh, and that was nice. I mean, that was, that was the aspect that I felt uh, I fit in uh, about. And then uh, I did feel like I was a, a diversity uh, attendee in my own way in that I wasn't responsible for uh, mergers and acquisitions. Sure. And I, don't have, I don't have a large uh, venture fund uh, yet uh, to, uh, to play with. But, um, but yeah, it was interesting, even just the cross-section of the uh, educational landscape. Uh, so, you know, one of the areas that uh, we naturally gravitate towards is higher ed, um, and there was plenty of representation uh, of different uh, aspects of how higher ed is changing and how it's likely to be disrupted in the next 10 years. Um, same also for K-12, but... Um, but what I really liked was the overall, the macro focus. I think was really uh, learning and talent, and um, wasn't exclusively focused on highly skilled jobs or uh, you know and en- developing engineers, which which is important. Uh, but there was a lot of emphasis also on like middle skills, uh, you know, traditional manufacturing uh, skill gaps and competencies that are all part of the educational landscape. And I think it's easy to, um, to gravitate immediately to like the top 30 uh, higher education institutes in the US and think that that covers the entirety of the educational landscape that's worth tracking in, in the next 10 years. And uh, I say the nay <laughs> coming well, off this uh, summit. It's definitely an interesting part of the conversation, but it's certainly not all of it.
0: Well, I think uh, you were talking uh, before we started recording. Some of the notes you took of needing to be aware of both the trends and the disruptions. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just about what's happening right now or predicting what's ten years away. It's that track to get to ten years away. And, and yeah. what I liked about the report from Hold on the 2030 Vision is it's it's not easy to make predictions, but making a single prediction and then waiting ten years to see how it's going to come out is a bit of a, a an easy process to wait on that. What they do is have five different possibilities or probabilities Mm -hmm. and then sort of map out how those things might come to be or why they might come to be was that a focus during the event was that sort of where they played off of that report from themselves to build on the possibilities and probabilities of future state education
1: Yes. And, uh, the whole and IQs education 2030 report, uh, is, is definitely worth checking, checking out our podcast that Dan mentioned, I, I think is a, is a good survey of, uh, of how they're sort of breaking this down and they did introduce the day in part with that framework Got where it. they, where they basically broke the, um, the potential directions and, uh, possibilities over the next 10 years as gravitating towards, uh, one of five themes uh one of which we love our lists so i'm going to go through them right now one of which was business as usual which is not a lot of disruption a lot of business as usual Um, global giants uh peer-to-peer regional rising and robo revolution so those were there for um sorry five frameworks one of which was things aren't going to change as much as you might think and uh what was interesting is they followed up on that with um responses from some panels they've been running, surveys of, uh, you know, folks who are interested in where the world of uh, learning and education are heading. Um, also just to, you know, uh, to sort of cl- close off a bit on and IQ just as, a, as an enterprise, you know, their mission statement is that they're building the world's smartest source of global education, intelligence to power decisions that matter. Um, and uh, as, a, as an organization that's only been around for two years, you know, that's a pretty bold, um, ambition. And I got to say they're kind of delivering on it. So, uh, it is nice to see a new entrant into this space. That's aiming to be smart, uh, about global, uh, about global education intelligence. Uh, because there has been, um, from my perspective, there's a lot of like institutionalized thinking around how education works. And I've had a hard time finding, um, disruptive frameworks, even more broadly, uh, you know, and and I would say Holon does seem to do that. So like the frameworks that I just, the framework that I just described was a big part of it. Um, and then getting back to your question about disruption uh, versus trends, that's another thing that uh, I think, you know, it came up also when we were thinking about the VUCA, the, um, the uh, volatile, I got it uncertain complex and ambiguous world that we live in uh that that frequently involves both understanding a trend Mm -hmm. then understanding how that trend might be disrupted and how some of those trends are being disrupted and how there are uh macro variables that are gonna um shake things up in ways that you can in fact forecast the one that was really uh interesting and i've heard others uh talk about this, uh, Brandon Busteed, among others, is that come the middle of the next decade, so the middle of the 2020s, there's going to be a significant drop in uh, the number of undergraduate enrollments uh, or undergraduate aged, uh, you know, folks who are graduating, graduating, traditionally graduating out of high school. So like the 18-year-old class of 2026. Is going to be down uh, double digits, uh, you know, fifteen percent or so, versus even the rates that we're at today, and uh, you know that is certainly uh, a signal for higher education and also a signal uh, for uh, really the business as usual way of thinking about this stuff. So this idea that you know uh, education, higher education in the U.S. We'll continue to see the steady stream of enrollments that it's seen over the years. Um, that is, in fact, shifting. And interestingly, a lot of the, uh, the thinking here was less about the traditional uh, mm-hmm. age students. It's more about the lifelong learner, uh, folks who are looking for uh, reskilling, upskilling uh, within a professional setting, and then also uh, folks who uh, are very similar to the stories that were discussed in unlikely, which uh, we covered uh, you know a few weeks back, uh, which is more about the some college no degree problem right. and um, the Western Governor's uh, university in particular, a purely online university, uh, Michael Morris uh, was there a uh, really interesting guy someone who um, right in line with the, the type of guests we look for on this show. Um, was really interesting talking about how Western governors, I think 99% of their enrollments, uh, are of that, uh, some college, no degree category. They, they, they're online only, and they focus specifically on students who tried college or tried a little bit of post, uh, post-secondary education and had a problem, you know, it didn't work and, uh, really, really interesting mission. Very, uh, you know uh, very clear focus i think in terms of addressing that problem and then uh, good uh business performance uh from what I, from what was reported at, at least as well so like growing uh and uh really countering some of the examples you might hear around um that population having difficulty um focusing on online ed- education so um yeah like plenty of really really interesting examples that uh, they uh, They dove deeply with uh, you know leaders within these various uh, organizations. The other one I wanted to call out, uh, and uh, maybe as a potential guest in the future, uh, Frank Britt uh, also spoke as and he was the CEO of Penn Foster uh, and Penn Foster is uh, is a one hundred and twenty eight year old um, educational concern whose focus uh, originally what they were among the first correspondence schools, uh, you know, by mail, you would get uh, certified, you would get some kind of degree uh, or certification to perform um, some kind of uh, middle skill uh, task. So not, you know, traditionally, like the, the constructs of white collar and blue collar, I think, are kind of breaking down but uh but Penn Foster specifically uh focuses on training up folks who may not may not even get an associate's degree, uh, although that may be something that's you know necessary to their career uh growth but uh but basically responding to emerging skills gaps that uh middle skilled employees can fill, and that's roughly fifty percent of our workforce so like as much as we're focused on um you know the the more STEM enabled, sort of cutting edge aspects, you know, like uh, uh, bachelor's degree, undergraduate degree, uh, further technical certifications on the one hand, it was really interesting that um, there was enough representation of other aspects of the educational landscape. Um, the example they gave was, uh, uh, the example Frank gave was veterinary uh, technicians. Mm. Which uh, which is an emerging field, um, you know. Veterinary hospitals are growing, um, despite uh, you know all the the narrative around uh, automation and robots. Um, like, I don't know how soon we would expect robot uh, veterinary technicians to be there. Uh, and when you you know, if you have a pet and you're handing your pet off to a, a veterinary hospital, um, you know, it is that import- that mix of genuine um, um, bio, the biochemical skills, medical skills, healthcare skills, but also the, um, the emotional skills necessary to engage with uh, people who are really attached to their animals and their animals are in, are in need of help. Um, so, so I thought that was a really interesting example. Another uh, example that came up was uh, uh, the, the people who make pacemakers. You know, so um, almost akin to like a skilled trade. And the way in which pacemakers are being built is changing. Sure. And the way in which uh, veterinary healthcare is delivered is changing. So, um, all these examples of disruption um, definitely focused in part on how that's going to impact higher education and workforce development and, you know, upskilling, outskilling was another thing that came up, you know, like, which we've talked about, you know, Amazon as an example, mm-hmm. they're outskilling their um, their warehouse employees whose jobs are being displaced so that they leave as a promoter of the organization who equip them with the skills and uh, orientation necessary to succeed in, in the world of work outside of Amazon. Um, really interesting stuff. Um, one last one real quick. And then, uh, you know, other, I'll, I'll cede the floor back to other questions. Uh, Kim Taylor was there from cluster right. and, um, I hadn't really heard of her or of cluster before, but it was an interesting idea that, um, like a job marketplace, uh, site that focuses on particular, uh, manufacturing verticals. So the example that she gave was uh, aviation and um, highly skilled, highly technical um, domain, not likely requiring as much uh, post-secondary uh, experience as much as it is certification in uh, you know ability to use particular types of machines and um, ability to sort of signal that you've met the uh the compliance certifications necessary uh to, to hire someone. And uh that was something I think we may come back to, Dan, too. That was where uh you know I did see that Boeing is pulling out its robots and replacing some of its robots with uh skilled human laborers. And uh just a reminder that the the world as we anticipated is not necessarily going to proceed entirely in right. one direction in the way that we've always forecast um but anyway i thought kim kim taylor and clusters angle because you could imagine if you stand that up for uh you know manufacturing of planes you could do something similar in other uh, highly skilled verticals or middle skilled verticals somewhere between middle and highly skilled um, and I, and that was probably the most eye-opening thing for me because uh, the other the other folks who were there were kind of touching on elements of uh, either lifelong learning, uh, workforce development, K twelve or higher ed that that I I sort of had a little bit more familiarity with, but it was uh, what was probably most illuminating to me was the fact that there are folks out there who are understanding skills gaps and the business opportunities around those gaps that are not exclusively focused on higher ed on up that there are other dimensions of education and skill development that are gonna uh demonstrate good return on investment in the next 10 years and uh that was a, that was a little mind expand i like a little mind expansion dance sure. so i had a little mind expansion you know? well
0: you need to get the cpu room right for when they they plug right in but i think a couple of things from what you were saying one uh, along with what uh brandon busty was talking about with the lack of potential college entrance in the the next decade there's also the cost right that the the cost is continuing to balloon i think it was the university of chicago is projected to be the first one hundred thousand dollar tuition school yeah and that obviously are two numbers that if costs continue to go up and the entrant pool continues to go down what do these universities do and how do they solve for things like that mm-hmm. but also even further where do those who can't afford turn for their education right. turn for their skilling right, right. Um, and that i think Holon is is positioning themselves to at least be a major part of that discussion which is awesome and i think what i find and i, I might be completely making the wrong assumption here I have obviously a very US-centric view of education. Mm -hmm. It's where I've always learned and where I continue to. Having these folks from Australia and and having a different viewpoint, discussing this all across, this is a a, a, a traveling show that they're doing, going to different Mm -hmm. cities, I think that only helps. It's it's a new perspective. It's a new way of maybe thinking about things uh, that as a US-minded learner myself, hearing how other countries, how other, uh, jurisdictions are doing things will always benefit us. And so this really becoming a global education system, a global way of doing business, um, may be scary in some ways because of uh, how information gets spread and where your data is going and that sort of thing. But the other side is it just opens us up to so much more.
1: Totally. I mean, and, uh, their their ossiness notwithstanding I, i think there's a little bit of following the money that's happening here too so like you know one of the one of the graphs that was shown showed the level of um capital capital investment and um mergers acquisitions uh over the last 10 years uh another thing that i did like you know if you're gonna look 10 years ahead look at least 10 years back to understand the trends that are feeding the present days so that you can extrapolate them forward. So that, that wasn't a nice aspect to the perspective that was given. But, um, but 2018, for example, was a banner year of uh, mergers, acquisitions, and uh, uh, capital investment in educational companies out of China. And I wasn't aware of that, but if you are, um, you know, tracking, the the level of investment that's happening uh across the globe um that requires a level of um agnosticism about your own particular domain um and uh and that was the thing that was that was super interesting because even uh you know in their uh, analysis of uh you know their panelists they did break those down by region and the orientation, uh, interestingly, both in Australia and uh, China was very different. You know, the people's uh, the panelists forecast of those five uh, macro trends I was describing earlier mm-hmm. was widely different, uh, particularly for China, uh, but also for Australia. And I think that's just by virtue of, um, you know, how different those, uh, those sort of geo- the geopolitics are over there. Uh, for example, another thing that I, I really didn't realize was the percentage of uh, undergraduate students in, uh, who are international in these different countries. And uh, particularly in Australia, I think it was 30% of their uh, undergrads are international, uh, which kind of makes sense if you think like if you're in Asia and you want to study at an English speaking university, uh, and it's right there, uh, with relatively favorable, uh, immigration policies. Like you can actually study in, uh, Australia, uh, pretty easily. And, uh, as opposed to in the U S, that number was relatively uh, low. And, uh, and there was a general vibe that, um, pretty much regardless of the administration that's in power, uh, the level to which, uh, immigration will, uh, will either get more restrictive or less restrictive in the next 10 years. I, I think there was probably a general sentiment that it's going to be harder uh, to allow for the, the free-flowing of, uh, of at least undergraduates, among other things. There was an interesting uh, company there, too, called Shorelight. Uh, Tom Dretler was their CEO. He was another panelist. And uh, their business is to focus on enabling services that allow international students to study at US uh, uh, higher ed institutions, uh, focusing particularly uh, below the top 30. So like rather than trying to figure out how to get more uh, international students to Harvard or Princeton or Stanford or MIT, instead uh, the example they used was Auburn and uh, how uh, Shorelight has helped Auburn establish programs that will help them get um, more international students to uh, to get their undergraduate degrees there, uh, which both helps with the diversity of the um, of the student body, but also I think you know helps broaden the perspective of uh, even the the faculty and the perception of the university itself. So um, I know we're tight on time, but. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I would recommend uh, more uh, focus on this type of research that is emerging we 're going to try to curate it uh, wherever we can and I mentioned this in the previous show too, like um, my point about diversity and inclusion, uh, myself being uh, uh, hopefully a, a, an interesting ad to the to the group who was at this relatively small summit, is that like even though these things might be designed for people who are thinking about mergers acquisitions or Uh, you know, funding uh, new ventures and new activities, it's hugely relevant for anyone who really cares about um, how much learning and education might change in the next 10 years. And um, the experts whose uh, livelihoods really are on the line around delivering these capabilities are super bullish about the size of the industry and how much investment activity we could anticipate around learning and education in the next 10 years. So in that sense, I think it was, um, it was hopeful in terms of future livelihood on the one hand. And then I also think uh, many of the efforts uh, and hopefully we'll be able to, to sort of talk to more of the, the folks who, who were interviewed as part of this, uh, as well as folks from Holon. But, um, but I thought the perspective was a fresh one and was one that was worth um, showcasing and highlighting uh, a bit more. Um, did you have any uh, any final questions, Dan? Any any uh, any any little curveballs for me? You know, I, I I'm a major league hitter. I can hit the curveball. <laughs>
0: I I don't have. I think this is the sort of stuff that we'll continue to track, and I think there's just so much to dig into in varying ways over the next months and years. Honestly, as this stuff changes and grows, uh, and uh, I think that if you are one of our international listeners, uh, they are in Beijing, uh, Berlin, and London over the next few weeks. So make sure. To check that out as well. Uh, with that said, as always, you can find us over on Twitter at Trending and Ed. Same on Facebook. Over on LinkedIn, it's LinkedIn.com slash Trending in Education. Next time, you'll hear from Mike and myself. We are happy to be here each and every week on Trending in Education.